Please be seated. Maybe taking a few extra sips of tea here this evening. Well, to say that life is dynamic would be an understatement. I think to say even that life is hectic could be an understatement, right? And it seems like every single day, every single year, things kind of get crazier. They don't seem to slow down too much. They seem to only ramp up. And in the midst of chaos and craziness, in the midst of feeling like things are spinning out of control, we yearn for a time of peace. I think we all yearn for something to, to recenter us, to bring us back down, to help us find that peace that surpasses all understanding. Yet it seems to kind of elude our grasp at every corner. No matter what we do, no matter what we try to practice, no matter how often we try to pull things back, it just never seems to work. And then we have those moments where no matter what's going on in life, we feel like we're just spiraling out of control. Like we're a car hydroplaning across the highway, just praying, Lord, that we don't hit something, and if we do, that we survive it. And then we come to a season like Lent, a season that can serve, that the church is, and God is used to serve as a way of helping us regather, a way of God using it to help regain control of our lives, not for us to regain control, but for him to take the control, the control that I so easily want to pull away from him, that I so easily want to take the reins of myself. And it's amazing how even in the chaos of life, God calls us to give our all to him. When we feel like life is out of control, we have nothing left to give in the chaos of life. God is calling us to give everything to him. How can that be? How is that possible? What can that look like? Why does he even want us to do that? Before I think that we can really press into and explore what it even looks like and means to give our all, A lot of times we get the question that we ask today of why? Why should I give my all? When it comes to Lent, why should I give anything to this season different than what I've been doing before? I've I've lived a pretty good life. I try to do as best I can. Why? And this is where we can turn to Joel, our reading today. And there's a whole lot in this this, uh, this passage and this uh, prophetic book that we can't explore today, but we're going to start to touch on a little bit that I hope can send us down a path of exploring even more what God's trying to say to his people here. And we see that um, in this reading that God has called his people to return to him with all their heart. Now what we see here is that uh, Joel, he's, he's having a vision of this invincible, unstoppable army getting ready to attack Jerusalem. He's getting, like, the people are, are going to lose. And this kind of figures, and some commentators talk about how this will figure God's impending judgment, this unstoppable force coming for God's unfaithful people. Because if we look at some of the other texts in the Old Testament, if we look at the path, pathway of, of the Israelites and of God's chosen people, they kind of have 
the knack for being unfaithful. That as God starts to reveal to them things and begins to bless them, that they turn to these idols. Some of the idols are literal idols that they create with their own hands. Some of these idols are other idols that they start to construct in their own lives, of their own destiny, of their own longings and yearnings. And so we see this as a continuation of God's people being unfaithful with a judgment coming straight on. And that can be frightening. It can be frightening because we see that it's not just the Israelites that have those yearnings and longings and those tendencies to be unfaithful. That that continues to us today. That we as God's chosen people often are unfaithful to the Lord. We replace him with other idols and things. Some of those things are good things, but we continue to move him out and move other things in. To orient our lives around certain desires, whether it's, it could be jobs, it could be families, it could be our finances, it could be worry that becomes the idol. It could become our own looks, it could become... Maybe the insecurity about all those things. They can become idols to us that we only worry and they determine our behaviors, they determine our actions, they determine our thoughts. And just like that vision that Joel has, that judgment could be closing in on us because we have turned away from the Lord. The busyness of life so easily takes control. Whether it's Thousands of years ago, or today, or 50 years from now, thousands of years from now. But we see that regardless of the chaos going around us, that God is calling us to give our all to him. That he's, even with judgment on the horizon, he's telling his people, return to me. Return to me, because you have been unfaithful. You have to return because you've turned away. You can't return to something that you're still in the presence of. You return to something that you've left the presence of. And God is saying, return to my presence. Because he has remained faithful. While while the Israelites have moved away, while we have moved away, while we, the Israelites have constructed idols, while we construct idols, God has remained faithful. As it says in verse 13, He says, return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Return to the Lord because he is always there. Come back to him. So what does that return look like for us? What does it mean then? If we need to return to him because we've walked away, because we've replaced God with these other idols, with other things, then what does it mean for us to actually return to him? There's a lot of times, um, and I am very, very guilty of this, that we'll say certain things like, well, if you just give it up to God. But then when we really kind of hunker down and think about that, what in the world does that mean to give it to God? What does it mean when he says, return to me with all your heart? What does it mean to give all your heart to the Lord? Well, there's two things in here that we're get, we can break down pretty quickly about that. There's two types of reorientation that are taking place 
an external reorientation and an internal reorientation. Our return to the Lord is both something that we do externally with our actions and our words and deeds and something internally with our heart, with our being, the core of who we are that affects our thoughts and those external actions as well. So this re- external reorientation is something we'll kind of hit on first. And that's when he says, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Those are three things that are probably pretty easy to get our heads around. Fasting, to abstain from food, to abstain from something. Weeping, to actually weep before the Lord. Weep of our unfaithfulness. And to mourn, mourn that brokenness that sin has caused in our lives. We give and we empty ourselves. These external things are a way of emptying ourselves, emptying ourselves of those things that have replaced the Lord in order to give room that he can then come in and be the one that's at the center of it all. And that's what Lent is really well known for. A lot of people ask, what are you giving up for Lent? And it can become kind of a religious, kind of just ritualistic thing that we partake in. Today, we can really be reminded of the emptying of ourselves that it has. That we give these things up, whether it's fasting from food or sodas. Maybe we we cut out a meal. Maybe we cut out sugar. Maybe we cut out Facebook, social media, whatever it is. Whatever it, maybe it's busyness that we try to cut down on. Whatever it is, that we remove those things to allow more for God. We remove these things not for just our own building up, not for the sake of doing it, but so that we can reorient our hearts and our minds to be focused on who God is, what he has done, our own brokenness, the weightiness of sin, that we're deserving of that judgment that's coming in, yet God is abounding with steadfast love. Then there's the, the internal things the reorientation of our hearts. And this is harder to explain because it involves the core of who we are. When it's talking about heart here, it's talking about not just like what I just love or long for, but it's everything about who we are. The core of our being and our existence. Everything about us is reorienting towards the Lord, towards the cross. So that we don't just kind of like, it's like in a conversation. If you're talking with someone and they're kind of facing away from you, but they're kind of looking in your direction, you know they're not fully, fully tuned in, right? You know they're not fully engaged. It's about reorienting our entire body, our entire being, to be pointed to the direction of our Lord and Savior. And those are things that we can take on even. Different practices that we can do externally that help do that. We remove things, but we can also, maybe we wake up early and pray. Maybe we make an effort to read the Bible more, to engage more in our life groups, to engage more in asking our families about what's going on in their life and their faith. We reorient everything about our lives to be focused on the one thing that we've turned away from. These are all the things that are at the heart of Lent. The reorientation of our hearts the reorientation of our lives because the hectic nature of life can be so firmly rooted in us that we don't even realize how far away we've drifted. It's like if I'm walking in a line 
a straight line, if I'm trying to walk a straight line to a destination, the next step counts so much because it continues, our path continues down that step. That if we take one little slight movement off, it may not seem too far at first, but just a slight turn here puts me in the opposite side of the room. And in the end, we end up in the complete opposite direction of where we were trying to get to. So I hope and pray that during this Lent that, that you enter into a time asking the Lord to move in a way he hasn't before. Being willing to go out of the, the comfort zone that you may have to empty yourself of things that are keeping you away from them, that are blocking us from even seeing the brokenness that we have. To not live a life of, well, I'm doing good enough, but to realize that I've got to live a life for the one who is good enough because that's all that I can do. And it may feel a little jarring. It may feel a little unnatural. But it's just like a reorientation. When you spin around in a circle and you're dizzy, when you get recentered, it's almost weird to get your balance back at first. But once you do, you realize how off balance you were beforehand. It may be jarring and it may be difficult. But that's what the Lord has called us to do as we reflect on the suffering that he took for each and every one of us on the cross. So I invite you to join me, join all of us on this journey. Let's join in this journey together of Lent. Because the goal isn't to give things up, to give things up, but to reorient our hearts. Because we're trying with our bodies and our minds and our hearts as we enter the story of Christ redeeming work for us. And as Pastor Matt Chandler says, he says that Lent is a time where we feel things and sense things and wire ourselves within our communities in such a way that when Easter Sunday rolls around, there's a celebration of Christ's victory over sin and death. A victory and celebration that becomes that much bigger when we realize how far we have come from sin and death to eternal life with Christ. Amen.